0: Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 27. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry, whether it's informally or as a vocation. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians, and today's thread covers chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, and the topic of how God uses pain as a key that opens a door. To even greater things. Um, You know, I got a question. Let me just open with this. If you could have Mozart's musical ability and write music that would bless the world for hundreds of years, but you had to also become deaf, would you do it? Or if you could have the power to lay hands on others and remove, say, Parkinson's disease from them. And you could help thousands of people in this way. But in order to do it, you had to receive Parkinson's yourself and suffer all of its indignities. Would you do it? I think a lot of us would just say, you know, just let me sit on the sideline and maybe I'll have just a normal life and try to help as many people as I can. Because we just don't want to go through The pain, even if the pain was guaranteed to open up something amazing inside of us. Uh, This lesson is about pain. It's the beginning of a theology of pain. And in this thread, Paul is going to talk about two things. On the one side, the supernatural gifts of God that come by grace to all of us. Gifts of power for ministry and gifts that set other people free. And on the other hand, Paul is going to link these gifts to at least one pain that we struggle with personally. You know, I, I think sometimes about Winston Churchill's ongoing battle with depression and the way he characterized it as having two dogs. He had a white dog and he has a black dog. And when the black dog visits you know, he knows it won't stay forever, but he knows what it's going to bring. Um, and it, we got, we're like that. You know, you, it's a mix. You've got the gift and then you've got the thorn. And that's what this lesson is about. It's a really important lesson. And it's my prayer that God's going to use it to uh, not, not frighten you about pain, but to uh, actually encourage you and help you not be afraid. Of pain because pain is already in your life. It's already in my life. It always has been, and it's, it's not ever going to be removed. There's nobody in the scripture that God protected all the time and didn't let them suffer emotional and physical pain. There's just, that person's not there. That's not God's plan. It's not his job. Uh, and furthermore, If we could just see pain the way he sees pain, we wouldn't be so scared of it. Well, let's start first talking about the gift. You know, the gift. Who are we? And then later on, we'll talk about the pain. So first, the gift. And the first gift that Paul wants to talk about in chapter 12 is the gift of two things. One, who we are in Christ. And secondly, a gift mix that we get from God And it's a gift mix that most of us have never even used. It is so full of power and ability. But most of us, because it's supernatural, and we don't go there very much. So most of us never even open the box of all the things that God has given to us. So uh, let's start with the gift of who we are in Christ. In chapter 12, 2 Corinthians, verse 2, Paul says, Well, I would never boast about my own abilities. I'm not going to boast about those things that would build you status-wise. But Paul said, I will boast. Uh, Look at verse 5. He says, I will boast about such a man. And this such a man is in verse 2, who he is in Christ. He says, I know a man in Christ. And he describes an experience that he had not because of his education, not because of his uh, personal abilities, not because of anything he did, but because of who he was in Christ. Because on the cross we exchange places with Jesus and Christ goes into us and everything that's true about Christ, uh, you know, most of that becomes true about us. And so Paul says, I will boast about that man because that man is a gift from God. And it's not just an ideal, you know, ideal me. I really wish I could be this. It really is me. It's me, the gift of me in Christ. And it's put inside of me and it opens up. And if I will focus on that, uh, it can redirect. Number one, it can redirect my identity. And number two, it can redirect my experience of life because I can live out of Who I am in Christ. And that's kind of what this whole passage is about. And Paul says, I will boast about that man, because that man's a gift. I will boast. I will study that man. I will unwrap that man. I will release that man, who I am in Christ. Paul says, Of such a man I will boast. Let's boast about it a little bit. In Christ, I am perfect, I am complete. And I have no weak spots. In Christ, I'm the apple of God's eye. In Christ, I have everything I need. I have endless resources. In Christ, I am accepted by God. I'm approved by Him. He finds no fault whatsoever in me. In Christ, I am directly connected to the Father, to the God who made this world. I have a true person-to-person relationship with Him based on who I am in Christ. And it flows out of His love for me and His grace, even toward my weaknesses. My weaknesses don't turn God off. In Christ, I am a child of God. I am a member of the royal family. Because of who I am in Christ, I have a destiny. I have a purpose for my life to fulfill. I have angels that guard me. I have an earthly family and a heavenly family that give me strength. I have power to influence the lives of other people. And I have supernatural authority to release the will of God into the lives of others. That's who I am in Christ. And none of this has any connection with my effort, with my ability, with my status, or with any position that I hold in this world. It's a gift from God. It's who I am in Christ. And Paul says, I'm going to brag I'm going to boast. I'm going to release. I am going to get behind who I am in Christ. And I'm going to pump it up. And you know, that's I've told you before, that's how I start my day. When my eyes open, I say, good morning, Father. I am your son. I am a child of God. And the second thing I say is, this day brings me one step closer to home. And then I begin, as soon as I get into my prayer time, the first thing I'm going over is all the things that God has made, all the connections that he has, uh, you know, everything that he has made, he is connected to. And it's all the resources in the world. And through him, I have connection to all those resources. And then I start talking about who I am in Christ. And I just celebrate that because I want to retrain my mind. I want the mind of Christ. And in this passage, Paul says, I know a man in Christ. And he had an experience I'll just read it. Verse two, he says, whether, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows, but this person who I am in Christ was caught up to the third heaven. That's, that's God's space. It's God's personal space. And I know such a man, whether he was in the body or not, I don't know. Only God knows. Verse three, verse four. He was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. And of such a man I will boast. You know, so he's he is so grateful for who God has made him in Christ. And we need to be grateful, and you need to build your identity on who this person is. Because if you don't do that, you're going to look at who you really are. And you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to hide it, which is what most of us do, and we're going to do image management and try not to let anybody see that true side of us, and we're going to build a whole fake identity. Uh, Now, more than ever, that's a big issue for us because now each of us have a, you know, used to the only newspapers in the world covered a very small set of people. Uh, But nowadays, there's a newspaper just about me Every day, you know, it's called Facebook and I publish it and it's a story of my life. And what do I think about today? And some people, you know, all the way down to what am I eating? Where am I at today? It's my personal newspaper about me and it can immediately turn into image management. And that's the that's one of the worst things that can happen to us because. Um, well, let's let's just look at verse six, because Paul says something here that is. Uh, It's such a revolutionary way of thinking. He says, I'm going to paraphrase verses 5b, that's the second part, to verse 6. Paul says, you know, who I am in Christ, I'm going to pump it up. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to speak it out in faith. But, verse 5, he says, but I have to be careful when I talk about myself. He says, I'll brag about who I am in Christ, but I'm not going to brag about myself. Here's the quote: He says, "Lest anyone should think of me above what he can plainly see. My life really is, you know, by the evidence of hanging out with me and seeing how I am, hearing what I say, people can judge who I am." And Paul says, "But I'm going to be careful when I talk about myself, not to." You know, you hear people sometimes say, I don't want to give the wrong impression. What they mean is, I don't want you to think bad of me. Paul's saying the opposite. He's saying, I don't want you to think better of me than I really am. I don't want you to think of this fake image of me. And I mean, that's the whole point of image management. We don't want people to see us for who we are. We want them to believe us to be more than we are. We want them to see us as better than how we really are inside. And Paul knows this habit, image enlargement is toxic. It's really dangerous spiritually because our greatest spiritual danger all the way back to the Garden of Eden is what the Greeks called hubris, you know, self-exaltation, lifting myself up as a great thing and coming out from under the authority of God to be someone who shines like a god, someone who does it independently, you know that that song i did it my way it's like the it's like the hymn to the independent hubris filled human and it's the root of all sin and it is so dangerous when this gets in ministry and we start building images for ourselves uh, i talked to one guy and I, I might have already said this but he said uh, you know we create an avatar that's your uh, fake online persona and then he said and then we become the avatar That we've built. When we allow in the ministry. People to exalt us as darlings. The only way that can possibly happen. Is that we help them do it. We have to help them see us as above them. We have to help them believe. That we are somehow above the normal weaknesses of humans. We are the heavenly man. Which I always thought was a really scary title for the book. Um, You know. That, that I'm a step above human people. You know, I've got, I've got this super spiritual side. And Paul says, you know what? We really do have an amazing super spiritual side, but that's not the one. Who we are in Christ, that's an eternal gift from an almighty God. That is super, but everybody got that, who's in Christ. There's nothing unique about, you know, who I am in Christ or who my African sister is in Christ, or who my Korean brother is in Christ, who, uh, someone who's illiterate, or someone who is a rocket scientist in Christ. The ground's equal at the foot of the cross. We all receive who we are in Christ. It is perfection. It is amazing, and it is a gift from God. Now, who are we in status as humans? Ah, oh, that's a whole other thing. And Paul's saying, let's not focus on that, because that's dangerous. If you get your, uh, if you get your spiritual leadership over people through human status you're building images. It's the only way to do it because you have to hide you know that's the only way an image works is you got to hide the truth constantly and you got to position and posture and, and edit carefully edit you know so that only one side of you shows. So Paul says, yeah there's a greatness to us but it's, it's who Christ is in us he's perfect. But Paul says, "I don't want people to think more of me than they should, because hubris is the worst thing that I can have in me, and it's also a bad thing for other people that they lift me up, because it's like um, you know this whole this whole idea of being a darling in people's lives and, and ministers. I, I'm sure you know this is part of my life too. Some people have they have honored me so much, and it feels good." Uh, and you can, you can help that happen. And, you know, I don't, the way Paul sees it is, it's kind of like you're around another man's fiance and you are trying to catch her eye and make her think you're, you know, you're a darling and you're amazing and you're wonderful. And Paul says, that's what people do when they, when they bring status into the body of Christ and they try to get the attention of the people on them. Paul says it's like you're flirting with someone else's uh, bride and that someone else's, Christ. These people belong to him. This is his bride. You don't try to be her darling. Jesus is the darling. You leave her focus on him. You be the servant. So it's really important. Paul says, and God, knowing the danger of hubris when he opened up for me such a huge ministry and I got to have these revelations and, you know, he took me to the third heaven. I got to, you know, the penthouse view of where God lives and, and his plans for this world and, and what the, the real kingdom of God, he let me catch a glimpse of it. And Paul says, and because of the immediate danger of pride in my own life, God also gave me another gift. And this is a gift of pain. It's a, it's a gift. And it's from God. But it's, it's pain. He, he said, a thorn in my flesh. I was given a gift by God. Of a thorn in my flesh. And herein lies an amazingly deep truth, my dear friend. And I really hope you can accept it. Our status... Among people, our status comes from our success, but our ability to minister to other people in Jesus name comes from how deeply we have come to face and process the woundedness inside of us, our old wounds and our fresh wounds. That's where the power lies. It's kind of like incarnation in our own lives. You know, Jesus was, you know, God in flesh. And as he lived out in human flesh, the life of God, we got it. And it's only by his stripes that we get healed. And we are his ministers and we minister out of the same pattern of life. We are wounded healers. And it is by his stripes we've been healed. But it is by our wounds that we connect to other people. And some of these are old wounds. We can say, yeah, yeah, that was before you were in Jesus. Hey, I've had a lot of wounds since I entered into Christ. And so has everybody else. You're going to have wounds from your family. You're going to have wounds. I mean, people you love are going to wound you. You're going to have wounds in the ministry. You're going to have wounds in the world. You're going to have internal mental stuff that goes on inside your head. You're going to fail at different times. There's woundedness. And the thing is, quit running from it because this woundedness is where our power lies. Not in being like super spiritual, nothing ever touched me. And, you know, you watch some of these, like the super, they, the darlings, you know, they love to wear white. They got that white suit. They got that white, that whole heavenly thing that they want to walk around. It's just a show. It's just entertainment wrapped in religion. I'm talking about the kingdom of God coming in power. And Paul says, this power is, it's who I am in Christ. It's not my status. And secondly, this power is activated through pain. My personal pain. Not just the pain of Jesus. My pain. My pain is what allows me to connect to the wounds of Christ and connect to the wounds of people. And it's what makes the good stuff come through. Uh, it's really so important. You know, we, uh, at Mediaite we take students on a 10-week journey. It's a guided spiritual experience. And we talk to them about giftedness. And we help them, you know, unwrap their gift mix and look at all that is in them, these amazing human abilities. And then the whole set of supernatural powers, like I said, that most of us have never even accessed. And when you finish studying all of it, we're not finished with them yet. Because the finishing touch on us as a minister requires mm, a whack, a pain, a flaw. It's almost like there's this perfect statue. And the last thing the artist does is take something blunt or sharp and just give it a good whack somewhere. And he creates this opening in the beautiful facade. And from this wound, your passion will flow. From this wound, you'll get your deepest loves and hates. From this wound, that stuff that makes you cry and makes you mad, makes you pound the table, it's all coming from that wound. That wound is not a bad thing if you get it healed. You know, if you don't get it healed, you're just going to have this festering, bleeding, oozing, infected thing in your life because you've got bitterness about this stuff. But if you will process your wounds, your old ones and your new ones, if you'll get in touch with it, if you'll allow the Lord to take you to this place, then out of that woundedness will flow a, a power and a passion. And it's so powerful to teach this and to help our students you know, sift through the woundedness of their life and discern what kind of power it gives, it gives them. Uh, the, what kind of person are you now connected to? What kind of person can you help best because of your own woundedness? You know what do you want to do with your life because of that woundedness because of that trauma because of that thing that got your attention it 's also the thing that ignited you and made you come alive. It made you different from other people and uh, you know it 's beautiful and uh, so many times they 'll start a sentence talking to the group and say. I've never told anyone this in my life, and I just know, wow, this is about to be a really powerful moment. I don't know what they're going to say, but I know they need to say it, and they need to get in touch with it. And it, you know, we've had students from 40 different nations, so we, we've seen how it liberates people to get in touch with your pain. And, and it's from whether you're from Africa or Asia or America or whatever parts of the world. And it, everybody's walked into it except we had one student. One student that got so offended at the idea that God has any connection to pain. And she refused to believe that God has anything to do with pain. You know, it's the job of God to not let us have pain and uh, help us avoid pain and to give us victory you know, around pain. And she actually walked out of school and quit. and Quit the program over it. No one has ever done that. We have one student in all of our history. Uh, it's, It's a charismatic and Pentecostal, which I am, theological weakness that we think the only place of God is to help me get a pass. You know, here's the line that all humans are in. It's a line that has pain in it because it's a fallen world. And that jobs, you know, God's job is to slip by me in line and hand me a number and say, come with me. And I get to leave that line and go, you know, to the, to the green room and just lay on the sofa and, you know, suck down lattes and eat chocolates. But that's the life in God. And it's not, you know, that's not how he lives. He has pain and he went through pain, still experiences pain. we're not finished yet. We're in the middle of a spiritual war and we need a theology of pain. Pain is a reality in all of our lives. And all of us have a key pain, usually from age nine to 14. And this pain defines us in some way. And Paul says, I received a gift from God. It was a pain. It was a thorn in my flesh. It hurt. It got my attention. It distracted me. And we don't know what it was. It's kind of good that we don't know. Uh, there's so many speculations, everything from migraines to depression to oozing eyes to literal demonic attacks on his mind to other things. Four things we know because he says them. He says it came from God, although it, he didn't say it came from God, but the way he says it, he says, because of the abundance of revelations I received, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So it's, it's passive Uh, The way he words it, but it's pretty clear that whoever gave it to him, it was God's plan for him to get it. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm not scared to credit God with the big sovereign choices for all of our lives. Uh, So it came from God's oversight somehow, even though it was painful. It was extremely painful to endure this thing, and it did not go away. It was not a one-time experience It wasn't one bad thing that happened to him. This was something that was recurring. It was cyclic. It kept coming back. It wouldn't go away. And the second thing we know was that it had a clear purpose. It had a purpose in Paul's life. You know, it was there to center him. It was there, and pain will do that. Pain will get your attention. It will center you. It will clarify what you're about and what you want in life. And, uh... It had a clear purpose in his life. It was was there to center him and keep him safe from hubris through all his success in life. Third thing we know, it was a messenger from hell. He says, from the Satan, from the accuser. Uh, It's like the doorbell rings at the very worst time. And when you open it, it's a messenger from hell. Someone who sent into your house just to engage you and accuse you and just cut you and cut you and cut you down. And the fourth thing we know about it was, by the end of the thorns visit, Paul felt like a man who had been beaten up. He said, um, he came as a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Buffet means hit me in the face. Um, So by the end of this visit, Paul just said, I just felt like I was beaten up. Now, Paul had over 300 scars on his back from his many beatings that he lists in chapter 11. And I'm sure pain was his companion every day. You know, you can't abuse a body in that way without consequences. But I think this thorn in the flesh thing, I would never deny that Paul got sick uh, or that this thing might have been associated with some kind of physical uh, malady because he did say it's a thorn in the flesh, but it was more than that. And I just think it has to be something internal because it's like it's an accuser. It's from Satan. It's almost like a person that comes in. In verse 80, he says, I pleaded with God three times. And I mean, think of how soft God's heart is and how easy it is for God to say yes to all of our requests, especially when we request help and relief from pain. And so here's Paul who loves the Lord and the Lord loves Paul. And Paul's a good man. He's serving God. And he pleads with God three separate times. He goes to prayer before the Lord and says, please, please, please take this thing away from me. But this time, with the big picture in mind, the father says no. You know, God always answers us. It might be yes, it might be wait, or it might be no. He answers. He's just not bound to do what we ask. We don't have authority over God because we pray in Jesus' name. He's the one that gave us that name. No parent would allow their child to have authority over them. And God, in his mercy, explains the situation to Paul. He says, I'm not taking the thorn away. You know, this is your thorn. This is your pain Own it. The only thing you need, you don't need less pain. You need to grab a hold of my grace because my grace and grace is God's commitment to deal with our weakness. I think that's a pretty good definition. You know, it's God's commitment to deal with my weakness. And Paul And God says, you don't need less pain. What you need is grab hold of my grace. My commitment to you is enough for you. And then he tells Paul the secret. He says, my supernatural power, my supernatural strength becomes activated only in your weakness. And this is like a bolt of lightning in Paul's mind. And it especially puts to death any idea that you would want to have status. Um, There is a kind of life that God has designed and that He gives to His children. And it is a life that comes to us apart from any work, any effort, any superiority, any worthiness of our own. This is a kind of life. It's a life that can only be received by grace. It will only unlock with with the key of grace. It's kind of like the manna system. You know, you could... Go out for 10 minutes and throw some manna in a jar. And when you poured it in the measure, it filled it up. Or you could go out and work for six hours and pour your big baskets of manna in the measure. And it would come to one jar. And You could not get more manna. And you couldn't get less manna. It was God's grace system. And this life that God's trying to give us, it's a pure gift. It flows with no connection to our human activity. It's God's own life, energy, God's power, God's resource. More prayer won't make it grow. Harder work won't make it grow. And our infirmities and weaknesses and failures can't make it stop working. It is grace and it's in us and it's working. And Paul says, it's the secret to ministry. It's the secret to ministry, not my strengths. You know, this is kind of a puzzle because You know, there's these strengths, and I've got them, and you've got them, and I work every day to build mine up because I want to be a good steward. But then, you know, now I've got this thought that I don't have an answer for, that my strength may very well be actually hindering God's power from working through me because it's sort of like I have to burn through my little AA battery strength and finally stop living out of my resources and depend completely not on my abilities, and my human ability to make things happen, because we've all got that ability, but I've got to lay that down somehow. And then this atomic generator is going to go online that could power a whole nation. And God says, my strength kicks in. My strength becomes perfect. My strength grows and and happens in your weakness. I think about uh, one of the great fathers of Um, Pentecostalism, Charles Parham. He was a janitor, black janitor in a white Bible school and in the days of segregation. And he couldn't even go to class, but he would sit out in the hall and listen to them teach. And they were talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. None of them had ever seen it, but they were just looking at the book of Acts and theoretically debating whether that power could be real still, whether they could still be miracles, whether the languages of heaven could still flow from human tongues in prayer, whether prophecy could still happen. And, you know, they were debating, you know, can or can't. And Charles Parham believed it. And he ends up moving to California, Los Angeles, and he's talking to some people on his front porch and this Holy Spirit starts to stir and then it becomes... Uh, a church meeting a little tiny church okay not a big place and when and he was so <laughs> he was so intimidated by by preaching and by you know the the whole crowd that it as he stood in the pulpit according to reports he had a shoebox he'd keep in the pulpit and when he just couldn't take the pressure of the people he would put a shoebox on his head if you can just imagine how ridiculous you know this is your Your pastor, this is your preacher. This is the Holy Ghost man of God. And he can't deal with facing people. And he's up there preaching and praying and prophesying with a a box on his head. It's so ridiculous. And, you know, sure, status. Nobody buys books of his sermons. Uh, They still buy books of Charles Spurgeon's sermons. He's such an orator. But through Charles Parham, there are over 200 million Pentecostals around the world today. And they're planning churches, casting out demons, and healing the sick in Jesus' name and nation after nation. God can take the most ridiculous people and do the most amazing things with them. And Paul gets it. He says in verse 9, well, if owning up to my weaknesses and acknowledging that I need God's help is the secret to walking in God's power, then I'll just cast my status to the ground and boast openly about all my infirmities in order that the power of Jesus, the Messiah, may rest on me. It's kind of like when Peter and John said to the man at the temple, silver and gold, I don't have any of that. But what I do have, I'll give you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. So in verse 10 of chapter 12, our last verse tonight, uh, Paul says, because of that, if that's how it works, you know, infirmity, acknowledging my infirmities is the secret to God's power kicking in. Paul says, well, then I will take pleasure in my infirmities. So, whatever those things are that you wish you could change about yourself, Paul says, I'm just going to enjoy mine. I'm going to take pleasure in them. I'm going to take pleasure, secondly, he says, in being publicly humiliated, because he's been through that. I will take pleasure when I don't have enough money. I don't have enough things. I will take pleasure when I'm attacked, and I can't fight back. I will take pleasure, finally, when I am totally in distress. I don't know what to do. I don't have any solutions. I've got problems all around me. When I go through all of this for Christ's sake, Paul says, I'm just going to celebrate it. Because all these things will destroy my status. And I'm going to let it go and grab spiritual authority, because, this is the ending quote, When I am weak, then I am strong. So I think today, this powerful lesson, we have two takeaways. First one is simply whether we're willing to come out from behind the curtain as the Wizard of Oz and live among people as normal, not special people. Just like them, all in need of grace. And secondly, will we accept our infirmities? Uh, And not just see them as normal, but see them as essential can we celebrate them? Can we understand that these are my keys to the heavenly generator? So I'm going to wear that key on my neck, and I'm not going to be embarrassed to talk about my weaknesses because I want to have spiritual authority, not status. And that's based on who I am in Christ and God's hand on my life. Now, I need to hear this teaching. And I hope you're growing through this verse-by-verse study of Second Corinthians. Let me ask you to do something for me. Two things, actually. First, please leave a comment and a rating in the iTunes podcast store. You'll find a link in the show notes. And secondly, can I ask you to please click the subscribe button and sign up for automatic delivery of the Thread podcast. It's free. Uh, but you'll get every episode the minute it's released. And because we, when we finish our study of Second Corinthians... I'm planning to launch a whole new podcast, and I want to tell you all about it and let you know when it will be released. So subscribing will make sure that it arrives in your mailbox as soon as it's released. Well, that's all for now. This week, expect God to use you. You're the light of the world, so shine on.